Would you come with me to the assigned text, Hebrews chapter 12? You know, I'm the youngest up here, and um, I was always taught you don't question grown folk. Um, but something kind of made me question the text. Um, you know, I was always taught whenever grown folk tell you to do something, you just do what they tell you to do and don't ask no questions. And so I'm going to do what I've been told to do, although I didn't quite understand it. And when I got up enough nerve to ask Dr. Carruthers if he made a mistake, he thought about it. He said, you know what? I think I might have. <laughs> but I'm going to deal with the assigned text that he gave me. And I believe the God of heaven has a word for us today. Hebrews chapter 12, if you'll meet me at verse number one, if it's all right to back up some context. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse number one. Therefore, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The assigned text and topic that's been assigned to me, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. Fear. Cambridge English Dictionary defines fear as an unpleasant emotion or thought that you have when you are frightened or worried by something dangerous, painful, or bad that is happening or happening or has the possibility of happening. Fear, an unpleasant emotion 
that I am certain all of us gathered in the consecrated halls of this convention center have felt at one time or another. Perhaps as a toddler, not knowing where your parents are and being left in the hands of strangers for the first time at a daycare. Perhaps as an adolescent, being worried about the possible punishment that may come from your parents for your behavior at school. Perhaps as a teenager preparing for graduation, but the guidance counselor has called you into their office with the news that graduation may not come as soon as you thought it would. Perhaps as a young adult when you've been living from paycheck to paycheck only to get called into the manager's office to be given a letter of termination with the first only a week away. Perhaps as a middle-aged adult that, uh, that uh, after years of being married and faithful to your spouse, you have an uncomfortable conversation that ends with love does not live here anymore. I wish I had a witness in the house today. Perhaps as a senior adult and after your regular checkup, the doctor comes in and says that there are some irregularities with you and he would like you to have some further testing done. The fear of the unknown. Oh, how unpleasant it is. The world we live in today with all of its calamities and mischief has become a dreadful and fearful place and has caused our fears to rise that much more. No place seems to be safe. In our schools, uh, just this year, there have been 22 shootings alone. That's a little bit over one every week of this year. The latest shooting being last week in Santa Fe, Texas. Our homes are no longer safe from domestic violence between husbands and wives to physical abuse of children. Just on Monday, Monday May the 14th in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a mother stabbed her daughter over 50 times and took a pickaxe to her head, leaving her for dead. No place seems to be safe. In our churches, shootings uh, and robberies in the midst of our own internal church conflict in January in Sutherland Springs, Texas, an active shooter took several lives in the midst of an assembly. And just a few months ago in Chicago during the Bible class hour, someone decided to try and come in and rob the church. I wish I had someone to identify with me that would say no place seems to be safe. Even in our neighborhoods, as especially as people of color, no place seems to be safe. From grabbing a beverage or having a meeting at Starbucks to trying to enjoy a good waffle and some coffee at Waffle House. Even to resting from exams and closing your eyes just to rest for a moment in your dormitory commons area. No place seems to be safe. So many things have happened that have caused us to fear. And the facts of, our, of the events of our lives seem to always have a negative ending. It seems apparent that the days of our lives are in a period of oppression, persecution, and, and suffering from without and even from within. Similarly, the early Christians in the book of Hebrews found themselves in the same predicament. And for many of them, fear was beginning to rise. The facts surrounding them were not looking good. The founder of this new movement called Christianity, a people of the way, had been killed by a creative conspiracy and collaboration between religious leaders and governmental officials because they feared that this rebel named Jesus of Nazareth had become a threat to their power and their position. 
Fear comes from a lack of understanding. What we do not understand, we fear. What we fear, we fight. And what we fight, we try to kill. And the sad thing is, depending on how afraid you are, you may try to utterly destroy it. And sadly, it's still happening today. All because of a lack of understanding. Some of the early Christian leaders had already been killed and it seemed as if the government was on a rampage to stop this movement by any means necessary. And on the way to my seat this, after, uh, this morning, can I just let you know that when the enemy has, uh, when the enemy peeks over into your future, he comes back to your present to try and stop you from getting to the place where God is trying to take you. The facts do not look good and rather than seeing a silver lining at the end of this tunnel almost every outcome seems to only point to a detrimental end death according to psychology today fear can only be overcome when we have an understanding of what we fear and accept the resources and the helps that are in us that are in us that are in us in order to help us to get over our fears John wrote in 1 John 4, for greater is he that is in, I wish I had a witness in here, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Paul encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 7, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Though the author of the book of Hebrews is unknown, I believe that this same word of encouragement that was given to Timothy is good enough to be given to the Hebrews. You do not have to fear what is outside and ahead of you as long as you remember what God has given and placed on the inside of you. In his word, one that we call the Bible, that's said to be over 365 fear knots, which means that everything that I need from day to day, there is a fear knot for every day, for everything that I will come in contact with. But may I submit to you this afternoon, children of God, that this text has been tailored to teach us this morning that there are three reasons why we don't have to fear. Y'all got time for it? Here it is. Number one, we do not have to fear because of the commitment of the previous runners. I ain't got no help in the room today. The text begins by saying, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I wish I had some help right up through there. Seeing we are compassed, seeing we are surrounded, seeing when we look into the grandstand of eternity, we see saints of old that are cheering us on. The encouragement of this text says that you are not in this alone. You are not the first person who has had to deal with persecution or oppression, nor will you be the last person to deal with it. But the good news is that you will make it through it. Have I got a witness in here? As long as you remain committed. The commitment of the previous runner, uh, runners gives us the assurance that the suffering of the season can be survived. Turn to your neighbor and just say, neighbor, you're going to make it. That's the wrong neighbor. Try the other one and just say, neighbor, you're going to make it. You're going to make it as long as you stay committed. Though the facts did not look, look good in their lives, their faith overruled their fears. And may I submit to you today, children of God, that when you get to a fearful place, you've got to allow your faith to override all of your fears. I know it does not look good right now. I know you haven't gotten a good report from the doctor. I know the first is coming up real quick and that account looks like it's in the negative. But when the facts don't match your faith, you've still got to rely on your faith. Uh, the, the facts to the children 
of Israel. It's almost time for me to sit down. Thank you. Uh, just bring me the other one in just a minute. Uh, when, when the facts uh, do not match, they cause you to fail. You've got to rely on your faith. You've got to rely on your faith. I've heard it said that everyone in your crowd is not in your corner. I've even found it to be true myself. But the good news of this text is that in this crowd, everyone is rooting for your success and is urging you to keep pushing. Every person who sits in this stadium has a story and in their story there are moments of success. There are moments of struggle. There are moments of suffering. There are even moments of silence. But in the end, God always gave them a moment to shout. Abraham felt like God was delaying, uh, that God was delaying him, but then uh, he thought that it may have been God's denying him, but his faith caused him to stay committed. Moses felt like his imperfections and bad decisions had disqualified, they should have disqualified him from being used in God's service, but his faith caused him to stay committed. The people of Israel thought that surely that they would have died at the Red Sea, but their faith caused them to stay committed and march through on dry land. Every Old Testament hero that we see in the Hall of Fame of Faith, including Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the list could go on and on, met some obstacles and obstructions standing in their way, but their faith caused them to stay committed. Have I got a witness in the house today? Just like the preachers of our fellowship uh, today, every preacher, teacher, man of God has had to stay committed even in moments of crisis and in the moments of calamity of his life. Our forefathers, G.P. Bowser, Marshall Keeble, R.N. Hogan, J.S. Winston, Levi Kennedy, G.E. Stewart, Samuel Robert Cassius, and S.T. Gibbs, the first, all had to stay committed. Our, leg uh, our, our legends, K.K. Mitchell, John O. Williams, S.T.W. Gibbs, Jr., Clyde Muse, Duel, Gant, John Henry Clay, C.C. Locke, uh, uh, Humphrey Fouts, O.L. Trone, Nokomis, Yeldale, and Robert Daddy Bob Woods all had to stay committed. And may I submit to you today, uh, to all of our senior statesmen and all of our men who are climbing uh, the, the status of our brother, you still got to stay committed. Since I got to hurry, let me move on secondly. Not only should we not fear because of the commitment of the previous runners, but the text has been tailored to teach us, secondly, that we have no reason to fear because of the calling of our present relationship. Anybody in the house with me today? The text says in verse number five, and have you forgotten the exhortation, watch this, that addresses you as what? Sons. Or as the children of God. I can't see what that said. As children. You are the children of God. You don't have to fear today because of the relationship that you have been called into. I wish I had somebody. I wish I had a little help in the room today. We have gone from being strangers with God to slaves to sin to becoming the sons of God. What a transformation that is. But with this new community comes a new calling and a new level of commitment. We have a great father, but we are stuck in what, uh, but we are stuck with what appears to be giant foes. But we are blessed with a guaranteed future. Our father, though he disciplines us, the text uh, that we read, uh, though uh, the, the Lord chastens those that he loves, he disciplines us. Though he may discipline us, it is only because he loves us. The things that you have to go through are not, are not for your punishment, but rather for your preparation. Have I got a witness in the house today? God has to prepare you before he takes you to the place that he has prepared for you. I got to quit. I got to quit. Yeah. The foes, though they may oppress us, 
it becomes another opportunity for God's glory to be revealed in us. I hear Paul saying, for our present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. The more dirt that is thrown on you, the more you pack it under your feet to rise to the top. One of the things that I've learned about this life, the best things grow out of manure. I ain't got no help in the room today. But you got a great future. For the believer, life, this life does not end in death, but it only transitions us to an eternal home. The suffering, the text suggested, though it may be painful for a moment, it produces a harvest of righteousness. I hear Paul saying in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9, do not become weary and well-doing. I got you, boss. Uh, do not become weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't worry, I'm headed to the runway. Our relationship says that because I am his child, that because I am his child, daddy will not allow the enemy to defeat me. I just got to trust him. I got to quit. I'm sorry. I've held you too long. The Lord is my help. I will not fear. I don't fear, number one, because of the commitment of the previous runners. Number two, I don't, I don't fear because of the calling of my present relationship. But I'm in my seat when I tell you I don't fear because of the consideration of our precious Redeemer. Have I got any help in the room? I promise I'm still in the text. It's right there. Suffering is a struggle. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is good to have some type of security solace that keeps you grounded when you are ready to give up. That reminds you of why you keep dealing with the struggle. When we look at our reminder, we remember why it's always worth it. Y'all ready for the why? Here it is in verse number three. He says, simply consider him. Can we try it again? Verse number three, he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me try it one more time. The reason why you don't have to fear is because you can consider him. I thought I had some church praying, church folk praying with me today. The reason why you don't have to fear today is because of your consideration of this precious Redeemer. Consider him. If we consider him, then we will live better. If we consider him, then we will give better. If we consider him, then we will serve better. If we consider him, we will sing better. If we consider him, we will preach better. Life is just so much better when you consider him. I wish I had somebody praying with me. Who is him? Y'all know what Paul said. Now unto who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Y'all know what Jude said, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present your faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever amen. You've got to consider him. That's just something about him. Who is him? Him who, when sin had become science and vice was consecrated as a part of religion. All unfallen worlds were waiting and watching to see Jehovah arise and slap sin into oblivion. A fast westering sun was lingering behind nature's treetop. Some good angel was bubbling over with anxiety, hoping to avert the doom of a guilty people. But instead, Jesus deferred to the council of the Holy Trinity, organized an angelic choir to 
furnished music on the hills of Bethlehem, stepped in a heavenly made airplane, rode down in a low brown of sorrow, leaped into the Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling clothing, then laid in a lowly manger, grew in wisdom and knowledge, and without doing good, held Hosanna on Sunday, but crucified like a criminal on Friday, buried in another man's tomb, but bright early. Y'all, I thought y'all would have got happy right there. Bright early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his. Y'all know who him is, don't you? He's the one who fills heaven with his glory. He's the one that fills earth with his blessings. He's the one that fills hell with his fury. Y'all know him, don't you? He's Adam's redeemer. He's Abel's vindicator. I'm headed to the seat. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He's Noah's ark. He's Moses' bush on fire. He's Joshua's battle axe. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samson's power. He's David's music. He's Solomon's wisdom. He's Jeremiah's bomb in Gilead. He's Ezekiel's will in the middle of a will. He's Joel's horse poet in the valley. He is the bright and the morning star. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. He is the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He is my way out of nowhere. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. He is a shepherd and a shield. He is a keeper and a God. Y'all know him, don't you? He's God's only son. He's Mary's baby boy. Y'all ain't saying nothing. He's James and Jude's big brother. He's Matthew's king. He's Mark's suffering servant. He's a Luke's great physician. He's John's word made flesh. He's Acts coming of the Holy Ghost. He is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Y'all ain't gonna say nothing today. Uh, he is the only blessed and potentate. He is the fruitful and the true witness. He is the and supernatural capacity. He is superlative and sovereign majesty. He is exclusive and spiritual beauty. He is radiant and eternal splendor. He is matchless and, and supernal deity. He is the God of gods. He is the prince of princes. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Anybody here know my Jesus? Does anybody here know my Lord? He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me that I'm his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known he is the Lord my helper I will not fear